Um, I still have to work on that. I thought I was going to do it. It didn't do it. Hey, guys. <laughs> Sorry about that. So I was trying to make it go out the music a little bit smoother, but it didn't work. So I'll try again next time, right? How are you guys doing? This is Lucia, your host at Transformed by His Word. And I am here to talk about why should follow Christianity? Why why pick Christianity? That is our topic today. Um, we did a podcast on um, what Christianity is, which I basically just went through and did like the pillars of Christianity, what that looks like, what that is, what that's not. Um, things that are unmovable, if you will, right? Things that we have to agree on if we call ourselves Christians. Um, things outside of that, you know, I think there's like, I don't know, 15, 20 things. I only talked about like five uh, that are non-negotiables. Everything else is a negotiable thing. Um, you know, so... If you didn't hear that, go to the last episode and listen to it. It was really good. I really enjoyed doing it for you. Today, we are embarking in why choose Christianity. Okay. Um, as usual, I'm going to keep it super simple. Um, I hope that you are able to follow if I'm not making myself clear, I'm sorry. You can always shoot me an email and I will be happy to detangle whatever tangles I put you in. <laughs> I really love doing this. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please like, um, subscribe, you know, do all those things. But really just let me know because I do enjoy hearing from you and it makes me feel like yes I'm doing this for a reason it's not just a soundboard you know of hearing myself talk so okay let's dig in there's not going to be tons of scripture today um I usually give you gazillion scriptures today that is not the case I am not building a case on Christianity based on scripture um pulling back and just saying if I have no faith on anything and I'm looking at different religions why would I choose Christianity okay so we are going to start with I think one of the reasons or one of the things that I think are um, really important right so when you study different religions you will see that normally uh or at least the religions that i've looked at you have god or a god or several gods depending on what you're looking at and they require for you to do things a b c d e f g and you have to do them this way and that way um and the gods of these religions are usually very selfish self-absorbed um they want you to come to them and pray and do all these things. Um, it's a very one-sided thing, if you will. Now, if you're the God of the universe and you know you deserve all that, yeah, yeah, I I get it. You know, 
um, that makes sense. But with Christianity, it's not quite like that. Um, this is the only religion that I know of where God loves me personally so much that he came and died for me. He said, anything you can do for me is not enough. Uh, so I will do something for you um, so that you can be with me for eternity. Um, and I think that's a pretty big one. Uh, at least for me, that's a really big one because it puts our God, the God of the Bible, in a place of not being selfish, self-absorbed God, but a loving, kind God. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that God is only loving and kind. Uh, he is a just God, and he is a God of angel armies, okay? But he has a sweet, loving, he loves his kids. He loves his creation, and he has made a way for us to be with him forever. Um, so that's my first one, if you will. The second um, thing I want to talk about is the archaeological evidence. So I was doing some research and I came across this article in the Smithsonian Magazine and it's called Unearthing Jesus. And I'm going to put a link off that article down on the notes um, of this podcast because I think it's important that you do your own research too. So the article is really, really cool. Um, it's basically this person buys this land. He wants to do like a retreat area. Um, and uh, they have to do some excavations, you know, for to make sure that there's no pyramids, not pyramids, ruins, I'm sorry, uh, ruins in there and they're almost done and they go to this one corner and lo and behold, there's something there. Uh, he thought there was going to be something there because of biblical accounts of the area, but he was hoping there wasn't, right? So anyways, go read it. It's really cool. Um, I think I don't know if this is true still or not. Uh, I heard this from a speaker. I don't have any friends that are archaeologists. I don't know any archaeologists. But there was this speaker um, back in the early 2000s that I listened to that was saying that archaeologists were looking at the Bible to guide them to see what to dig up next or where to dig up next. Now, understanding that these archaeologists were not uh, Bible readers or followers of Christ, um, they were Christians, um, but they still use the Bible as a historical, factual book to figure out where to excavate. So I thought that was really cool. I don't know if they still do that. I don't know. Who exactly was doing it? I don't remember the name of the author. I'm so sorry, uh, the speaker. But I remember hearing it and thinking, man, that is really amazing. And that is a good testament of the validity of the Bible. 
All right. The next thing is going to be history. Um, so when it comes to history, there's a bunch of things in historical events from non-Christian people that either are in the Bible or back up what the Bible accounts say. Um, you can go back to like, you know, when Jesus, before Jesus was born, and there are some historical events that happen that the Bible also talks about. So you can look at history and kind of correlate where the Bible is, and you'll you'll see that it doesn't, they don't fight, if you will. Um, I did find out, which I thought was really, really interesting, and I also, I'm putting a link on this, um, on the notes, that the first emperor um, to become a Christian, so we're talking about, you know, Roman emperor that became a Christian was Constantine in 313. Um, and that's relevant just because it's so close to the events, okay? So that, you know, maybe not his mom or grandma, but great-grandparents would have been first uh, account witnesses of what happened and put down the tradition. Um, apparently, he wasn't always a Christian, but his mom was a pretty strong Christian, and eventually he became a Christian as well. So I just thought that was a really cool account. Um, like I said, there is a link for this historical fact in the comments. The next one I'm going to talk about, and I'm going like super speed fast. Um, I don't have a lot of scripture, like I said. So these things are just factual, right? I, I can't like super talk about them. It's just like fact, 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 fact. Um, if you think I'm not being factual, just email me. Send me a link. We'll figure it out. Um, the next thing is the math evidence. This is probably one of my favorite evidences, okay? The math evidence on prophecies fulfilled by Jesus. So there is 365, I believe, prophecies fulfilled by Jesus. Um, 365, yeah, that's a lot. So the math evidence is some crazy smart dude, right, way smarter than me, try to figure out what the probabilities were of Jesus, this one person, to fulfill eight of these prophecies. And this is, you know, just from Isaiah or just Old Testament prophecies that everybody was accustomed to, have heard, all that stuff that Jesus actually fulfilled. Now, I said he fulfilled 365, but this mathematician kept it simple, like I'm trying to do, and just figured out eight. So for Jesus to fulfill just eight prophecies, there was a one in 1,017 chances. Okay just eight. So the probabilities of Jesus 
not being God and fulfilling eight prophecies was one in 1017. Now, he fulfilled 365 of them. Over 300 prophecies were filled out by, uh, were fulfilled, sorry, by Jesus. The mathematical equation for that is such a ridiculous number that I'm like, ah, I don't even, I'm not even going to bother. Uh, my brain cannot compute that. If your brain can, good good on you. Good job. I'm so glad that you're that good at math. But I'm going to put the article about this um, prophecies. And this article actually has a list of the 365 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. But that's kind of mind-blowing. Just eight of them, it would have been one in one, over 1,000 chances. So not very likely, right? And then the next thing, oh, there it is, one in 1,000. Um, the next thing I wanted to talk about is why is this important? Okay, I'm giving you all these facts of, you know, math, math, and all these equations, and I'm giving you all this info. Um, but why is it important? Why does it matter, right? As long as I, I'm a good person and, you know, I don't do anything bad, I should be fine. The truth is, it's not that simple. We have to think about this. If, if you think about it, you know, okay, even if you're not a Christian and you've never even looked at the Bible, nothing. You know that death is not natural. Okay. You understand that people die. But in your heart of hearts, inside of you, you know that it shouldn't be that way. Okay. And that is because it shouldn't. We were created to be eternal beings. So we're not talking about whether keeping a good moral compass, following the Bible or the scriptures or following Jesus or whomever um, is going to give you a good life. We're talking about your eternity, right? You know you were created for eternity. I don't have to prove that to you. You just know that. Um, that is a truth. The same way you know you're supposed to take a breath in and take a breath out to stay alive. Right. Nobody had to teach you that. Um, so if eternity is at stake, then I need to make sure that the choices that I'm making are the right ones. Right. That I'm following truth, that I'm doing the research that I need to do to make sure that my eternity is going to be prosperous. Right. Um I personally don't necessarily want or are reaching for happiness, okay? And let me explain that. I would rather have a um, life where I have to do a bunch of research, go through hard things, explain tough things, get a lot of bad feedback. And now I'm not saying I enjoy those things. I don't 
necessarily want them, but I'm okay with them in light of eternity because I know that at the end of it, where I'm going to end up at is going to be good. Okay. So with eternity at stake, we need to make sure we're following truth. Um, because it's not like, well, if I get it wrong this time, I'll fix it on the next one. Right. Um, so Jesus came and he was by all accounts, a great teacher. Okay. I don't know of many, uh, religions that will disagree with that. They will, most all of them will say he was a great teacher. Right. Um, and I'm trying not to speak of other religions by name, just because I'm not a hundred percent well-versed on other religions. Right. I know a couple of them. I have studied a couple of them. Um, so I have a general idea of most. But the truth is, most great teachers died. Actually, all of them died. If you're following Muhammad, Buddha, right? Any of those big great teachers, they all died. And they stayed dead. Um, so why would I want to follow in the footsteps of a God that's dead. Jesus is the only quote unquote great teacher that came, lived, died, and then came back from the dead. There are so many eyewitnesses of the fact that Jesus resurrected. And if you want more information about resurrection and all that, I might end up doing a full podcast on that, but I touch on it on the previous one on um, what is Christianity. So the resurrection of Christ, it's a big deal. It's a really, really big deal because um, if you're a Christian, you are not following a dead God. You don't have to think of your God as in past tense, but he is alive and present now, right now. He is looking at you and helping you and listening to your prayers. <clears throat> One of the things that I don't understand personally is when you have someone and they are praying to someone that's dead. I don't want to pray to someone that's dead because they're dead, <laughs> right? I want to pray to a God that is big enough and strong enough to be alive and not only to be alive, but to have conquer death. Like how cool is that, that we serve a God that was not bound by death, but has resurrected and come back and he loves us. So amazing. Um, so I have a couple of resources that I want to share with you. And like, you know, no, I'm not getting paid by any of these. I'm not getting paid at all. So, you know, there's that. Um, but I think it's important that as I'm sharing the message that I'm sharing, I give you resources. So you don't take my word for it. I've 
told you this from the beginning, be a Berean, go research what I say. If I'm saying something erroneous, let me know. Here's my email address, lgoss at transformedbyhisword.org. I would love to connect with you and let's have a conversation. So one of the books that I want to share with you is Why Should I Trust the Bible? Okay. So the idea of I should just blindly trust the Bible because my mom said so or my grandma said so or the pastor said so. I don't think that's a good one. Why should I trust the Bible? Do some research. Figure out if you understand um, Old Testament, New Testament. Like, know what you believe and know it well. Uh, not just because you need to be able to tell people or, you know, be able to defend what you believe, which you should be able to. But because you need to know, because eternity is at stake, that what you're following is the right thing, right? So um, why should I trust the Bible? This is written by Williams Mounts. Mounts. There it is. William Mounts. I'll put this title on the notes as well. The other one that I like, um, and I like quite a bit, is I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. So in the world we live in right now, um, atheism, which is the belief of nothing, has become like a badge of honor. Like, oh yeah, check me out, I'm an atheist. Um, in reality, we are all created to um, believe in something, okay? Uh, you are made to worship something. So if you tell me I'm an atheist, then I'm going to assume that you've done no research, that you have no future in mind. Um, you know, and that's pre-set pre existence. So the other book, like I said, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. This was written by Frank Tucker. Turker, Torek, Torek, and Norman Ballister. I don't know how to say his last name. I'll also put this on the info on the video. This one just basically goes through like why you should believe. Um, there's tons of resources. I know that there's a lot of people that have gone on quests to disprove Christianity and they end up becoming Christians because the proof is there. Uh, if you look for it, it's there. I think God is um, magnificent. And if you're looking for him, he will make himself known to you. He wants to have a relationship with you, but in the same sense, if you don't want anything to him to do with him, he's a full gentleman. So he's not going to shove himself down your throat. Um, he is giving you free will. And that means that you can make your own choices. And he hopes that you make the right choice. Um, 
the Bible says that he wants no one to perish. But like I said, he's a gentleman, so he's not gonna he's not gonna come um, and force himself onto your life if you don't want anything to him do with him. But if you look for him, he'll he'll show you. He'll show you where he's at, and he's faithful, and he's pretty amazing. If you have any questions about anything that I said, email me, elgas at transformedbyhisword.org. You know I am accessible if you – ah, one more thing. If you send me an email and you don't actually have a question, you're just trying to prove me wrong, not open dialogue, but actually just trying to be mean, right? I'll still answer your email, um, but I'm not going to entertain it for very long. So if you're genuine and you have a question, if you need any counseling, let me know. I am more than happy to help you. If not, just keep watching, like, subscribe, do all the things.